Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Yes, hello and welcome back. It's myself, Mark, and I, I'm in the company of the wonderful Paddy today. Hey, Paddy. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. And hello to everyone else, of course, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're back for another episode of the podcast. And what's going on? Uh, we're talking about the birth of Lou. Lou. Now, you might be asking yourself, the birth of Lou? Didn't we do that a little while ago? Well, thankfully, this is a different version in a much different style. So I think that you'll get a, a really new, really nice, fresh perspective on uh, on the story, uh, especially if you uh, listen to the two back to back. Yeah, but also we're doing this having done two episodes ago because our, our rhythm at the moment now is... Uh, we've gone to back to the beginning of we the sure mythological have. cycles. We did that two episodes ago with the story of uh, Kesser. Yeah. And then we do, and we drop in a folktale. Mm. Drop in a little palate cleanser, a little folktale. And now we're back for kind of the second installment, which is, yeah, the, the mm. birth of Lou. Now, it is kind of complicated chronologically uh, because uh, Lou is born and grows up yeah. at the same time where... Uh, Around the same time, the Bress is becoming king, and then Nuda is restored as king with his uh, two new arms. I tell you, if people can follow Game of Thrones and shows like that, I don't think oh, they're going to struggle with this at all. No, there's no. just slightly less incest. <laughs> well, and only slightly. Only slightly. <laughs> only yeah. slightly less incest uh, in this. Oh. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be tackling Lou. Lou is a favorite of so many people. He is. He is, but at the same time, how much do we really know about him? But that's the good thing. The more you right. learn about it's the same with celebrities. Right. And I see Lou as being like an Irish celebrity. But when you look at the likes of Fionn McCool and you look at Coo Cullen, very problematic. And that would probably be the case with Lou as well if we did no more. Probably. Uh, well, it's no coincidence, you know, that people claim that Lou was, was Coo Cullen's father. Because yeah. Because they, they, they're quite similar. Uh, very good in terms of their warrior status yeah. and their abilities on the battlefield. Very good with the spear as well, of course. Yeah. Uh, he's called Lou Law Father Lou of the of the long hand or the long arm because he's of his ability to throw a spear very very far. Yeah, his spear famously was called Fragarok. Yeah, which means a, the answerer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could just you basically threaten someone with that, and it's it, it said that it's meant to pull the through magically out of someone, yeah. but I think it's basically just the threat of it because there's a few swords that do the same thing as well. Yes. Uh, and but it, and it always hits its target. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, Lou, Lou is that. But I think the difference between Lou and Kukulin as well is this like kind of nature versus nurture. Right. Yeah. Lou's upbringing well complicated, and we're gonna hear all about it. Yeah. It's kind of nice. It is. Um, well, everyone is very keen for him to grow up. We don't like. I know we talk about. Uh, kind of colloquially we kind of talk about how fed up we are with our politicians yeah but we've never really been ruled by someone like Balor no that's true everything away from people I could kill you with a glance and that kind of thing so uh, I think everyone is there must have been a lot of pressure on Lou to grow up uh, to be this powerful warrior to fulfill the prophecy and uh, to defeat his grandfather and to be the best at everything 
pressure must have been unreal on on the young Lou as he was as he was growing up, uh, because so much was expected of him. Maybe that's why everyone is so keen to to raise him and to look after him and to make yeah, sure because he's he is all right. very wanted. Yes, and I mean that's that's nice. Yeah, you know what I mean. People weren't kicking him out of the house. Go, I go and play with your friends. I'm sick of the look at you. Like yeah, people yeah. were interested in him. Yeah, they were interested in him, but there was also a sense that a lot of people were afraid of Balor. <laughs> yeah, so it's a case. And when Lou ends up with Chal Chu. Yeah, like that's that's very important that it's the goddess of agriculture, woman, uh, famously dies of exhaustion yeah. after working so hard to clear the lands of Ireland for farming. Eventually, she's ra- he's raised by uh, Chal Chu, and Manon MacLear is involved as well. So it really takes the big guns. Yeah, to look yeah. after him. Well, what we'll do is then we'll get into the story and mm-hmm. uh, you guys can enjoy the story. And if you want to hang around afterwards, you'll hear some more of our, of our hot takes. Mm-hmm. I think that's the phrase people are using now. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy the story and we'll be back in a moment. islands around Ireland and on Crow Island lived Givnu the wondersmith. Now Givnu he was a fearsome member of the Tuatha Danann who could create arrows that never missed their target and always delivered a fatal wound and even created a fully functioning arm of silver for Nuada, king of the Tuatha Danann. But Givnu's most prized possession was on Gloss Gowan green cow. Now this cow, she produced more milk than any cow in Ireland. She was a magical creature who had appeared out of the sea one day. And Givnu, well, Givnu had rushed to his forge where he had quickly made a halter. Now the cow, she made her way straight into this halter. And from that moment on, she had been Givnu's loyal pet. Now, there were many people who envied this cow. None more than Balor of the evil eye. Balor, he was positively green with envy when he found out about this cow. So much so, that he sent a messenger over to Crow Island in the middle of the night. The messenger had snuck over to where the cow slept. But just in the nick of time, Givnu heard her bawling. He rushed out the door and managed to grab the cow by her tail. But the messenger made off with the halter. Now Givnu, he knew Balor wouldn't give up with this. So he watched over the cow, quite diligently. But it was taxing. You know, she was the type of cow who wanted to go off and wander. She was very independent. And given that he had no halter for her, she could easily wander. One day, a fearsome warrior of the two a day Danon. Kian. He appeared on Crow Island asking for a sword from Givnu. And Givnu he agreed. So long as Keen kept watch of the cow. Well Keen was more than happy to admire the gloss gown for a couple of hours. And he sat there watching her graze in the grass, ready to pounce if anybody came along. And from nowhere, a little boy, with hair red as hot ash, 
appeared before Keen. Mister, your sword, it's ready. I'll keep watch of the cow and you can head on in. Well, as Keen made his way into Givnew, the boy gave him a cheeky little wink. Givnew was startled. What are you doing here? You're not watching the cow. I sent you to look over the cow. Why are you in here? Now, Keen was so confused and he explained the little boy told him it was ready and Givnew knew exactly what had happened. He rushed out the door and in the distance he saw Balor making his way off with the cow. Well, Keen felt horrible. He couldn't believe he had been tricked so easily and he was determined to make it up to Givnew. He ran towards the shoreline of Crow Island where almost waiting for him was an old man. Will you please take me to Tory Island where Balor of the Evil Eye dwells? I will, spoke the old man. So long as you give me half of what you earn. Keen agreed and off they set to Tory Island. And soon enough they had reached the shore. I'm sorry, I have nothing to pay you it for now except the cloak upon my back. The man smiled from ear to ear. Then, Keen, we shall swap cloaks, for you'll be needing mine. As Keen placed the cloak upon him, it began to shine the colour of the waves beneath in the sky above. The man beamed. With this cloak, you'll go unseen. Use it to get in there. Use it to speak to Balor, and I'll see you on the other side. Keen began his journey into the huge fortress upon Tory Island. He made his way past the guards, through the gate, through the halls, and only did he take that cloak off when he was before Balor, appearing right in front of him. <sighs> Balor sighed. I suppose you're here for the cow. Keen smiled. Actually, I'd just like the halter. And I'll give you whatever you desire in return. Now, this was an enticing offer for somebody like Balor, because with an offer like this, he could get the one thing he most desired in the world. Apples. Balor loved a good Granny Smith apple, and he was very jealous of the surrounding islands, for they all had bustling apple trees and Balor had none. Keen agreed and he set off to the garden where he began to plant the trees. In the distance though he saw a little tower tall and thin and he put his cloak upon him. He began to make his way up the winding steps and he saw nothing but women maid after maid as he travelled upward and upward and upward until at the very top was the most beautiful, enchanting woman he had ever seen in his life. Ethlin, Balor's daughter. Ethlin lived her whole life locked up in this tower, for a prophecy had been told about Balor. Only his first grandson could defeat him. Ethlin was his only child, so he was determined to never let that happen. But once Keen took off his cloak and appeared before Ethlin, 
the two began to talk. And soon enough, Cian, he was tending to the apple trees and then going to visit Ethelin. The two fell madly in love and by the time the apple trees were in bloom, they had a sweet baby boy, Lou Light. This boy had brought so much joy to their lives, it was like the sun himself. Now, at this point, as the trees gave fruit, Keen went to Balor, asking for the halter. And Balor told him that it would be delivered to him the next morning. But of course, he had absolutely no intention of doing that at all. In fact, he was going to hide it in the one place where Keen would never, ever, ever find it. Ethlin's room. He sent his messengers to head up to Ethlin to hide the halter. And as they travelled upwards, through the winding steps, they began to hear the sweet coos of a little child. Well, they became more and more concerned and they were absolutely certain it was a boy, it was a little child. As they made their way up the winding stairs, they began to hear the sweet little coos of a baby boy. Well, they headed right back towards Balor, where they told him exactly what they had heard. And the following morning, as the sun rose, Cian, he collected some apples, and he made his way up towards Ethlin, where he reached the top, took off his cloak. Love, I've brought you some fresh apples. Here you go. Ethlin had tears in her eyes. She knew exactly what had happened. Her father had came to visit. Love, it's time for you to leave. Tears were falling down her cheeks as she handed him their sweet baby boy. Take Lou, take the halter, she said as she pulled it out from under her bed. You can never come back here, my love. But make sure that our baby boy grows big and strong. Take good care of him. And know I love you. Keen ran out the door. Not before giving his love one final kiss. He travelled towards the shoreline, his cloak upon him. Where he met the old man once again. He hopped into the boat and the old man he began to row. So... What are you ready to give me half of? Cian took off the cloak, revealing the baby beneath it. Well, all that I've come with is the halter and my son, Lou. For some reason, the man seemed excited. Well, then I'll take Lou. Well, you're going to need this, he said, as he put Lou into the man's arms and placed the cloak around him. The man, he began to beam and shine. The cloak glowed all the colours of the sea as he held Lou up to face the sun. Your son, he'll be raised in fosterage. He'll become a brave and strong warrior just like his father. For I am Mononon MacLear, God of the sea. Keen looked at the man. His eyes were now twinkling. They seemed to glow 
I know he's in safe hands, so... He smiled. Kim found himself getting a bit choked up, and he hadn't even noticed that they had made it to Crow Island. He gave Lou one final embrace, for he knew the next time he'd see him, things wouldn't be as simple. He headed back towards Givnu, the halter in hand. Givnu smiled. I knew you'd be back. I knew you'd get me my glass gown. He held the halter towards the sea and sure enough up she came, right into the halter, delighted to see Givnu again. She stayed giving as much milk as before, bucket by bucket. And Givnu rarely let her out of his sight, for he absolutely adored this animal. And you know, Balor, in all of this, was almost certain that Lou would have drowned at sea. So he never really worried about it again. But in Ireland, the words you speak always come back. And a prophecy must be fulfilled. So what beautiful imagery there in the story from See, I really enjoyed that. It, you know, strangely for a story that uh, I normally consider so uh, complex and uh, foreshadowing of violence, yeah. it did make me um, feel all warm inside. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful telling of it, and and yeah, very different, very different to how I tell it, very different mm. how you tell it, but very palatable. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's a great way into the character as well. Then for people, there's no, it's not intimidating. Hmm. One one interesting thing there was that you know in a telling of my own, uh, I would have the warrior women at the bottom of the tower, yeah, and you know I either Kian uh, or Kian either tricks them or is they start to fight amongst themselves, and then Kian sneaks off. But this was very nice perspective of the idea of the, the serving women suddenly realising that there's a child in the tower. Yeah. And I do wonder what was going through their heads. Oh, God, like the, the one thing that we're, isn't supposed to happen in the job is the thing that has just happened. It's like a meme. You had one job. <laughs> you, had one, <laughs> you had one job, and that was to make sure she didn't have a baby. Yeah. And now there's a baby in the tower. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I ma- imagine it, like, how people must feel after their bank, the bank that they work at has been robbed. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. Yeah, they, they've walked in. Yeah, no, but, but again, it's... There's a lack of conflict in it then, like kind of, it's a lot more internalised, the telling of the story. Yeah. And it actually yeah. gives you time to consider things like that. I wouldn't have time to think that <laughs> uh, with, with most tellings of it. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. You know, the, um, the you know, in some tellings, people emphasise the uh, the absolute need for hospitality. Yeah. Uh, or indeed the um, the warrior class. That would have got of women that guarded uh, Etna at the top of the tower, but this this kind of this kind of more 
um, at home, more domesticated, I yeah. suppose you would say, version of it is 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 quite nice because you you don't often get an insight into those people. Yeah, and I suppose now now the uh, the ball is well and truly roll, rolling in terms of fulfilling the prophecy. Yes, this baby, it's happened. Some bloke's gotten into the, some bloke, uh-huh. <laughs> some bloke's gotten into the tower, uh-huh. um, and this child has been born. Yeah, there's a couple of lakes in the in the west of Ireland as well that are said to have been formed from uh, Lou's nappy pin because as he was being taken from the island to the mainland, uh, he was flown across. Yeah. And the nappy pin fell out of his, his diaper and it hit the ground and formed a lake. <laughs> so they well they want the stories sometimes want to emphasize the the um the size of the sometimes want to emphasize the importance of the character the by importance increasing, of the impact by yeah by increasing the size of things, you know. Yeah. Well, they do that with again, they do that with Fiona McCool quite a lot and quite successfully to the point where he's now seen as being some form of giant. Mm. But Lou stays humble. Yes, I think so. Um, uh, well, there's all, there's the famous scene where, you know, um, he turns up uh, at Tara. Do you know that one? Uh, yes, yeah, where yeah. There's, where he's like, do you have someone who can uh, who's very good at stonemasonry? Yeah. You say, oh, no, we already have someone that's very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. good stonemason. Well, do you have a good carpenter? And yeah. No, we already have a good carpenter. And uh, and he goes on list, listing all of these jobs and said, well, we kind of have everyone of that character here. And he's like, well, but do you have anyone who can do them all at once? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, actually. Well, we can't. I mean, that's, that's an important lesson in knowing your own worth and your own, your own value, you know. Yeah. But because everyone can do what we do, party. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not so special, but it's how we do it. And he does do things in a particular way. He and he is the chosen does. one. He's the chosen one. He is the chosen <laughs> one. That's true. But I think that one of the interesting things about the, the, the Lou prophecy and Balor is that nobody just sat on their haunches and watched it happen, in a sense. That often what you get in a prophecy is, uh, it's going to happen regardless of what I do, I might as well do nothing. Yeah. But you really get the sense that the two had day done, and if there's a prophecy, then they mean that yeah. they're going to make sure it's going to happen. Yeah, everyone's going to get involved to make sure it happens. It's not a prediction so much as this is something we need you to do. You still have to put in the work. They're not going to like rest back on their lords. Like yeah. this is, but it, it, it's it's an option. It's a possibility. This is going to happen. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. But then again, it just shows up the two day done for being like kind of oh, what great people they were, <laughs> overachievers. <laughs> overachievers again. Yeah. We all know the type. They're Ravenclaw. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just going going back to the uh, the beginning of the story, I thought that that was um, a very nice touch uh, with the the little red haired boy. That kind of trickery that the sword that inside Gobnu's forge or uh, was already made. Yeah, 
uh, the, the, that kind of trickery from the little boy. That was a nice touch with the mystery or swords ready inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was lovely. I'd love to see that animated. Yes. It, yeah. it, but so with so many of these stories, I want to see them animated. I mean, that's just a medium that I, I like to consume. But oh. there's so many of them that you'd like to kind of see on a stage. I don't think this would work on a stage. The sets are too big. But animation would allow you to do the fantastical and the magical elements of this so yeah. well. So most stories don't work without like kind of like great supporting characters or like That's or very true. So it can't be all about Lou. I mean, we can't forget the cow for one. But. No, the cow is fabulous. Uh, the gosh cow, often described as a, a luminous green. Yeah, cow. But green is also gloss is uh, fresh, so they might have been talking about the milk. Yeah, but I personally prefer to think that it, the cow glowed bright green. We we some nice colourful cows, like we've got the yeah. cows with the red ears and stuff like that as yeah. well. So yeah. no, I'm happy to have it be a gr- bright green, <laughs> a bright green cow. And, and now that you describe it, you know, a, a bright green cow that provides as much milk as forty other cows combined is. I'd want one of those. Yeah, it's also probably, and given that this is going out a couple of days before St. Patrick's Day, um, that's probably where they get the green milk for the shamrock shakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you stick a green shamrock on my pint of Guinness, I'll I am you. knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just a cow. No, no, no. In fairness, um, Etna is uh, very important in the story. And I think Etna will probably... Um, is it's very easy to empathise with her because we've all all had those, especially with what happened to us in the in the two or three years before. Now yeah. we all had those moments of extreme isolation. Yeah. So based on what we've just been through, I think we can understand what it would be like to be locked at the top of a tower and not have any contact with um with others other than your father's servants. Yeah. were all women and some of the some of the stories describe how she doesn't even know what a man is or looks like because she, she yeah, yeah she wasn't aware of the prophecy itself like she lived like that's how she lived yeah. and she didn't know any better yeah and what must have been like when when, when he rocked up uh, yeah it is and it's comparable to movies like the room if you've ever yeah. seen that yeah where people who are in extreme isolation are, are then must be fascinated by what's going on yeah. outside uh, in the real world. There's the, the, the famous uh, scene where she points uh, out from the tower at a man uh, who's sailing on a boat and, sa- and asks the serving girls, you know, what is that? But it, the seeing the opposite sex for the first time later in life as well, yeah. that was, that's quite fascinating to me. You know, it adds a it adds a, a certain uh, a beautiful dimension to their romance. That you know he's in the tower to just to help his friend, uh, to have something returned to him, and she's in she's in the tower because she's locked away, and then they see each other for the first time, and she's never seen a man doesn't know what a man is, yeah, and they fall madly in love. They fall in love so quickly in these stories, though. Ah, yeah, well, I think sometimes falling in love must be uh, um, another way of saying falling in lust. Yeah, because I mean, it just happens too often. Like, I mean, it takes a while to develop, but yeah. that's my own it's my own bitterness, I suppose. Well, compared to, to, to other classic stories in the Irish myths, you know, the children of Lear, both of Lear's marriages were arranged. Yeah. One of his marriages was very happy. 
The second, not so much. Of it wasn't course, great. it wasn't great. But they were both political matches. Like, yeah. so people were very aware that you know, in the ancient world, most marriages were marriages of convenience. They were arranged marriages. A love match, actually yeah. falling in love and having a child with someone who you fell in love instantly with, was very special to any listener who's hearing this story. And if you're hearing this story again in Ireland in the 19th century, it's even like it's even stricter then the marriages yeah, are even true. more arranged then now obviously it's arranged marriages aren't all misery you know a lot of arranged marriages ended up in love and ended up in families it's possible to grow in love with someone as well yeah but i think a st- a, a hearing a myth or hearing a story in that context where most of where you were married to someone who it was politically expedient to be married to, or who just had the farm next door. Yeah, it, yeah, there is, there, it there would is be that. very special. And we see we see that in our, like in a lot of our folk tales then as well. Hmm. And today all, all the folk tales are about like, a miserable old couple anyway. Hmm. <laughs> you know the final scene famously in the caves of Keshkorn, where Finn and uh, Goldmach Morna are talking about Finn's daughter. Yeah, and Finn says she will be your wife. And Gull says, you know, if you want, she will be my wife. She's not anywhere near them. Yeah. And they've already arranged her marriage. You know, and now in fairness, Gull Machmurna had perhaps earned uh, a prize, but Finn's daughter shouldn't have been that prize. You know? No, but these stories were being written down at a time when that was the case. I mean, if you're going to tackle yeah. these stories again now, that's not how you do them, mm. you know. But, but bringing it back to Lou then again, as you say, because we're almost in my head, I'm playing through into the next phase yes. of, our, of our mythology. You yeah. know, Lou has... Uh, Lou has a role to play in the uh, the ultimate downfall of his grandfather's people, the, the Fomorians, yeah. their ultimate defeat at the hands of uh, the Tuatha Donan. The Tuatha Donan are basically, their history is to find... By two major battles. Yes. The first and the second battle of Moitura, yeah. Uh, which uh, is on the plains of County Mayo, uh, if you know the area. Uh, so it's 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 very, spe- I suppose, very interesting. Like, we define ourselves, Irish people define themselves as well, by our often troubled past and our troubled history. That maybe that's the reason why the two had dead on an appeal to us. Because they too define themselves by war and violence. Now, of of course, probably the thing that we should mention going forward is that uh, Lou is growing up at a time for the two Hadedanan that is incredibly complex politically. Yeah. Because they their their chosen king, their favorite king, uh, Nuida is removed because he is no longer physically perfect and he is replaced by their much less competent king, uh, Bress uh, the Beautiful. Which is another political decision. Is it, Yeah, is another yeah. political decision. And so the defeat of Balor, which you would have heard about in uh, episode 57, yeah. is uh, comes after, in a sense, 
So the story of Lou is still continuing yeah. after this. It's uh, just not the focus. It's just not the focus of our next. We're going to move um, from... From Lou, who by all accounts is beautiful with his long golden yeah, yeah. hair, you know. Yeah. Um, then we're moving into a guy who is defined by his beauty. Yes. Though exactly. I would have called him breast the asshole. Yeah, or or or, or breast the incompetent would probably be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or breast daddy's boy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so many, so many. But again, his upbringing wouldn't have been too easy. But I suppose that's no. something that we can address in the next episode. Definitely. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening to us and our babblings. Um, and, of course, thank you, C, for a great story. Yes. Uh, Potty, it's always great to be sitting here beside you on a bench that I don't think is really made for two people no. of our stature. <laughs> um, but, guys, we will talk to you again very, very soon. Mind yourselves and goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.